TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. And even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here. On TuneIn, go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only twenty-five dollars a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile, get four iPhone 15s on us, and four lines for twenty-five bucks per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month with auto-pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto-pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling accounts to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. 97.1 FM Talk Podcast. This hour of the Annie Fry Show is brought to you by Ruler Foods. Low prices, no coupons. Ruler Foods. That is exactly what I needed to hear. Thank God someone here knows what they're talking about. That's us. That's right. Gotta love this American ride. You need to take the time and get the full picture. Don't get me wrong. I love the ladies. I mean, they rev my engine. But they don't belong in the newsroom. It is Anchor Man, not Anchor Lady. This is the Annie Fry Show. I think it's naive um, and a real misreading of what we've lived through to think that we can count on the guardrails that we have in place. Donald Trump tried to seize power in 2020. Uh, he tried very hard. He put in place a, a multi-part plan to ensure that you know Joe Biden wasn't going to be uh, certified rightfully as the president of the United States. Uh, so he's done it once and. What we saw in 2020 was that it was the people. It was the fact that there were Republicans at the state level who stopped him. Uh, there were people in his White House, the Justice Department, who stopped him. Um, but, but he knows now uh, you know, what to do. He's learned the lessons. Man, Liz Cheney's got it bad. Can you imagine what it's like to wake up every day as Liz Cheney? Right now, I, I mean, as, as much as I try not to speak ill of people, she just is a very miserable person. And every day she wakes up and Trump might still be the president of the United States, no matter how hard she tried. She says she it's naive to think that the guardrails can protect us in a second Trump term. But she then goes to articulate how in her mind, if you were to succumb yourself to the idea of what she has about Donald Trump trying to steal the election, then she explains how the people stop that from happening. So explain to me, Liz Cheney, how the guardrails failed us and will fail us if Donald Trump is to get uh, a second term. I just think she's very, very sad. And I'm not really sad for her. It's very difficult to consume her misery. Uh, Let's talk to our friend Droy Murdoch about it, nationally syndicated columnist and a member of Project 21, a Fox News contributor as well. Droy, wouldn't it be fun to hang out with Liz Cheney? I think it'd be miserable. It'd be rotten. <laughs> she seems like she's a very cheerless human being, which is very sad. And uh, for her to uh, have been, you know, a fairly reliable conservative all, for all these years, 
And then uh, I guess she just got the Trump derangement syndrome and decided, okay, I'm going to you know, be, be in league with the far left on, on uh, opposing Trump at every turn. You know, very, very disappointing and very frustrating. Yeah, I think, you know, she's out of power. That's a plus. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I mean, when I watch Gavin Newsom, I can't stand the guy, but he doesn't seem miserable in his, you know, disposition on the other side of the aisle. Liz Cheney just seems like the TDS is really, really bad. They're all throwing around this this phrase that he's going to be a dictator if he should come back uh, and win a second term. What do you think about that? The rhetoric is starting to really, really amp up. The rhetoric is ramping up, and I think what it shows us is a couple things. Number one, it shows that the Democrats cannot run on Joe Biden's uh, current record. Uh, they're terrified of, of uh, President uh, Trump's actual successful uh, presidency up until COVID when everything went totally haywire. So they're not going to talk about that. So what they're going to do is try to terrify the American people uh, with an imaginary story of the American Reich run by Donald J. Trump, Unser Führer. And uh, what a terrible time that's going to be with concentration camps. Joe Scarborough's talked about concentration camps, uh, people getting executed and all this other nonsense. Uh, so let's scare them about that. Let's not defend the uh, uh, indefensible Joe Biden's current uh, presidency. And let's make sure people forget how good they were and how comfortable they were and how happy people were under Donald J. Trump until, uh, as I say, COVID came in and, and turned everything upside down. Uh, and so you've got people talking about, uh, you know, the uh, I call it uh, uh, dictatorship porn. Uh, the Atlantic magazine, their next issue, uh, has got, you know, one story after another after another about how Trump is going to wreck this, ruin that. You know, the danger ahead, according to David, from um, a MAGA judiciary. In a second term, Donald Trump would appoint more judges who don't care about the law. Um, Trump's polarization of science is bad for everyone, according to Ann Applebaum. Trump will abandon NATO. Now, if he were uh, somebody like Alex Jones, who'd never run for office before and had no record, you know, you might be terrified by these things because who knows what this guy might do. The fact is that Donald J. Trump was president of the United States for four years. He's been in this office, in the Oval Office. And if he really wanted to have established a dictatorship, uh, concentration camps and, you know, gunning down people on the streets, what have you, uh, he would have done this over the four years he could have done so. Um, I didn't see anything regarding a dictatorship under Trump. He, he had a Republican Congress as well for the first two years. So yeah, I guess they could have voted to open the camps and start stuffing them full of his enemies. That didn't take place. Um, you didn't have the weaponization of the Department of Justice. You didn't have the weaponization of the FBI. You didn't have federal prosecutors and uh, sympathetic state and local prosecutors going after uh, his uh, political opponents. That's something Joe Biden does. So I just think that the Democrats realize they have nothing to run on. So instead of saying, look, we ha have a, a great record with a president who's done great things, here's our beautiful, uh, glistening, lovely agenda for the next four years, and we're going to run on that. They just invent this idea of, uh, you know, orange Hitler, and uh, they're, they're, they're trying to run on that. And I hope the American people see right through it and see these people have nothing to offer us but fear itself. Yeah, I uh, agree with that wholeheartedly. I, I'm always struck by the, the F word that is always thrown out there by the left, and I'm talking about fascism. I don't know what anyone else is thinking. Mm. Uh, fascism, <laughs> if I look at merriamwebster.com, fascism is described as this, and I think it's important to make sure that we understand these words that are thrown around as insults because they're scary words, and people don't want to be associated with a fascist. Nobody wants to be associated with a racist or a homophobic person. So we throw these labels out. Everybody recoils. Nobody talks. But fascism is described as a political philosophy, movement, or regime that exalts nation and often race above the individual and that stands for a centralized autocratic government headed by a dictatorial leader, severe economic and social regimentation, and forcible suppression of opposition. 
I'll start with the last one first. When you look at what the left has done when they've been in power or when they've had the bureaucracy power when Donald Trump was was in office, the suppression of opposition is a leftist. It's a it's a pillar of their political game. It is. I mean, you look, uh, I'll give you an example from today. I, I got an article uh, in my, this is 20 minutes ago. Uh, I got an article, a, a Google alert, actually, about something that I wrote uh, in somebody on, uh, I, actually, a TV appearance I did on Fox News yesterday. Rumble.com picked it up. So I clicked on it, and I get this on my, I'm looking right here, my, my, my computer screen. Rumble.com is blocked. This page has been blocked by an extension. Try disabling your extensions. Error blocked by client. Well, I'm the client. This is my computer. I never told my computer to block Rumble, but somehow or another, it's blocked. Now, that, that could be some weird glitch on my computer, but, you know, I don't get Amazon blocked. I don't get, uh, you know, all the other websites I look at. Rumble happens to be a right-of-center uh, kind of version of YouTube, and I can't get on it on my computer. I wonder if that has something to do with the uh, 80 FBI agents running around Silicon Valley censoring uh, the ideas and the articles and the videos, et cetera, of conservatives. Donald J. Trump didn't try to block any any uh, left of center uh, commenters or journalists or, or websites, what have you. But boy, the left got very busy blocking the uh, famous uh, Hunter Biden uh, laptop from hell story. Uh, I thought that was just you know one or two people in D.C. making some phone calls. Turns out they have 80, 80 FBI agents fighting quote unquote disinformation and misinformation, namely, hey, don't run that. Make sure that article doesn't appear. Uh, deplatform that person. Make sure this guy or gal on YouTube can't make any money uh, uh, on advertising uh, uh, on conservative or, or center right, right of center, uh, pro market, uh, whatever it might be, uh, type websites. This is the left doing this stuff. That strikes me as rather fascistic. I don't remember Donald J. Trump in four years doing anything of the sort. No, and if there was a microphone or a camera that would reach the American people, he it was, the most dangerous place he could be was between Donald Trump and that microphone and that camera because he was going straight to it. Along with the messaging, uh, the message suppression and opposition, uh, and uh, the, the suppressing of it and the control of every message that was out there, you have to pair that with gaslighting. And I, I like that you brought up that, that thing about Rumble because we know for a fact that the bureaucracy, especially during COVID, worked overtime and was very successful in suppressing and canceling people who didn't think the right approved thoughts. So anytime, now that we know that that's happened, you kind of question everything all the time, and then when you have the conversation about it, they tell you you're crazy, that this stuff isn't happening. And the gaslighting makes people want to lose their minds. Nobody trusts anybody. How are you supposed to elect somebody to go in and work in a government where you don't trust any foundational element of the structure that still exists? Well, I mean, you want to talk about uh, loss of credibility uh, and faith in our government, which are important things. You know, you turn on your TV and hear uh, Karine Jean-Pierre and uh, Secretary of Health and, uh, rather, of uh, Homeland Security, uh, Antonio Mayorkas, saying the border's closed, it's secure, the border's shut down. And then, you know, you put on Fox News, you see, I think yesterday, 10,000 people, 10,000 people walked through the border, and I think Eagle Pass, Texas yesterday, 10,000 in one day. And yet they'll say, oh, border's closed, it's secure. You know, when you, they lie to you directly, and that completely about something you know to be true, uh, you then think, well, can I believe anything whatsoever that these people say about any other topic? You know, the, I'm, I'm curious what your thoughts are on the comment that Joe Biden made um, saying that he doesn't know that he'd be running if Donald Trump weren't running. And I'm wondering what the equation, how, how it functions out for you 
to know that Joe Biden's presence is kind of a consequence of Donald Trump's presence? Is that because they fear Donald Trump so much? Because it seems strange that they would continue to make Joe Biden be their candidate. I think what people, what the left fears about Donald J. Trump, I think they're lying when they say he's going to be a dictator and they're making that up. I think what they don't like is that he is the most effective conservative president of the United States uh, since Ronald Reagan, or maybe even including Ronald Wilson Reagan. Reagan gets full credit for tearing down the wall, ending communism, and that's a monumental effort. But in terms of uh, things he did domestically, he did wonderful things. I'm not criticizing him in any way. But uh, the uh, corporate tax is lower now than it was under Reagan. The level of deregulation might have been, been even greater under Trump than under Reagan. Uh, you know, if uh, Trump has to take a silver medal next to, uh, next to Reagan's gold, that's fine, too. Uh, but they seem as a very effective, focused, energetic, uh, you know, maybe shall we even say hyperactive, uh, limited government, conservative, free market leader. And that's what scares them much more, that he's going to come in and shut down a lot of these programs, close these agencies, stop these subsidies, defund the left, and basically dismantle their gravy train. I think that's what they're scared of. I don't think they really believe he's going to open concentration camps and you know, send, send the National Guard uh, just to gun down you know, everybody that, everyone at the teachers' union or something like that. I think, I think they do fear he'll have a successful, from our perspective, right-of-center perspective, uh, second term, or maybe even more so, because he won't have faith that the bureaucracy will cooperate. He'll understand these people are uh, totally hostile to him, and he will have an even stronger you know, sense of propulsion and locomotion, and that he will, uh, uh, you know, destroy many more of the programs and, and shibboleths, shibboleths of their of their uh, civic faith. And I think that's what they're terrified. Rather than bring that out and say it, because a lot of people like that uh, objective, they'll say, "Oh my God, he's a dictator. He's the American Mussolini. He's the American Hitler, et cetera, et cetera," and you know, get people all riled up over that kind of nonsense. Well, we're speaking with Deroy Murdoch. Before we let you go, Deroy, you know, part of this kind of screeching, he's going to be a dictator that we're hearing with consistency across platforms right now. It indicates to me that they are growing a little more fearful that the actuality of a Trump second term might be coming more realistic. And, you know, we know that Donald Trump is up against an onslaught of legal challenges that paired with a media a portion of the media that just wakes up to hate him every day. Do you feel as though the actuality of a Donald Trump second term is becoming more possible? Uh, I think it is, which is why they're hitting the part why they're hitting the panic button, uh, and that is that the polls have shown um, that uh, Trump is ahead of uh, Biden by two uh, percent. I saw a poll, I think it was a Harris poll, that had I was amazed by this just last night. Uh, uh, Trump, well, I'll put it this way: Biden forty, Trump forty-seven. Up by seven. That's, that's huge. Yeah. That's well beyond. That's like double the margin of error. You know, two percent could be within the margin of error. Seven percent is enormous. And it doesn't look like Joe Biden's going anywhere. It looks like he's going to stay as the uh, nominee unless uh, you know something happens to him. He's in, incapable of of going on. Uh, Dean Phillips uh, is running against him. He's just been lo knocked off the ballot in uh, Florida. So uh, it looks like Biden's stubborn enough and he wants the job. And uh, I believe somebody up on Capitol Hill, Hillary Vaughn, the Fox News correspondent, asked if there's a plan B if for some reason uh, Biden's not able to uh, become the uh, nominee. And a number of people on the Hill said he's our nominee. He wants it. He's got it. We're lining up behind him. And if that's the case, then, uh, you know, he's um, he's the guy. And uh, I think they're scared that that's going to be a really, you know, really uh, tough challenge for them in a year. Yeah. I still don't believe it. I don't think he's going to be the guy. But, boy, would it be nice if he were. <laughs> we'll wait and see. Mm -hmm. I think he's the easiest to beat for sure. Dory, I thanks. think he is. So let's, let's hope he stays there. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Thank you for being with us. We've always appreciated you. You bet, Annie. Thanks. All right, you bet. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.
nationally syndicated columnist, Fox News contributor, Doroy Murdoch. Someone on the chat said that they always thought I was saying the Roy Murdoch, but it's the Roy, D-E-R-O-Y. <laughs> but I'm going to ask him if he would prefer to be the Roy, because that sounds like bossy in a cool way. Roy Murdoch, a Fox News contributor and friend of the show. Great to have him here. We're going to come back with uh, Sarah Partial Perry with the Heritage Foundation. Do you know about what J.B. Pritzker is doing with his Scrooge McDuck doubloons? I think that you should. And we're going to talk to uh, Sarah Partial Perry about his dark money campaign. Now, I know I hear from the left a lot that they hate the dark money stuff. I think I kind of hate the dark money stuff, too. I know that it's the name of the game. What is J.B. Pritzker investing in? I bet you'll be surprised to find out it might not be in Illinois. Shocker, huh? Stick around. We'll talk to Sarah Partial Perry when we come back. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. The clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. Ctmobile.com. Governor J.B. Pritzker today further establishing Illinois as an abortion oasis in the Midwest. Governor J.B. Pritzker brought his wife M.K. to sign into law what is being called the most progressive abortion protection bill in the country. This is a pivotal moment for our republic. That's why I'm proud to announce the launch of Think Big America, an organization dedicated to safeguarding reproductive rights and standing up against the right-wing extremists who want to take us backwards. Think Big America is building on the successes we've achieved in Illinois and taking the fight across the nation. So J.B. Pritzker is going to take his show on the road because it's doing so well in the state of Illinois. Yes, I still live there. Yes, it hurts my soul. I'm trying. I'm trying so hard to fight back against it. I'm actually going to be going to Mount Zion, Illinois on Monday to speak at State Representative Brad Halbrook's Christmas party and try to get everybody going for 2024 because we need to warn people about what J.B. Pritzker is doing. And he is taking his show on the road. And we're going to talk to our next guest about that. Sarah Partial Perry joins us right now. There's a dark money campaign going on and J.B. Pritzker is behind it. At least that's what Sarah is going to talk to us about. Welcome to the show. Good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Uh, you're welcome. I was reading this article about, uh, it says, Pritzker's tone-deaf dark money campaign goals are the real extremism. And what Pritzker, J.B. Pritzker, Governor Pritzker, says are his successes in the state of Illinois regarding abortion, working to defeat book bans, and increasing access to gender-affirming care. He's trying to take it as a governor of Illinois and a super PAC. He's going to try to influence other states on these issues. Is that the way I, do I understand that correctly? Oh, absolutely. And he's using the typical big money Soros model in which 
you develop a PAC with enough private money that doesn't have to be reported so that you could push your particular political agenda in other states. Now, after Roe versus Wade was overturned in the Dobbs versus Jackson decision, abortions in his home state of Illinois actually increased. They didn't decrease. So all of his hysteria about the fact that abortion is actually declining in the United States is not accurate, not only in the state of Illinois, but generally in the country overall. Other people just found ways to get abortion. They traveled to get abortion. Once again, that's the way federal government works. A federalist approach allows states to register, to litigate, to legislate exactly what they want. And in the states that have restricted abortion, people have simply gone elsewhere. But he's taken all of the money that he's heir to by the sole heir of the Hyatt Hotel franchise, and he's poured it into other initiatives, specifically on things like abortion up to the moment of birth on demand, which is what we're seeing in Arizona and Nevada. The first uh, new set of states that are coming out with constitutional ballot amendments that are cementing the right to abortion within their home state. So he's using what Soros has done in the past. He's using what NextGen America used with their radical climate change pact. And this is something that we're going to see more of, I think, going forward. We're speaking with Sarah Parshall-Perry. She's the senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation and a writer for The Daily Signal, also a former senior legal counsel at the Department of Education. You know, Sarah, when I am, as a resident of Illinois, when I drive home across the Mississippi River from Missouri, St. Louis, where I am right now, into Illinois, billboards up that says, welcome to Illinois, where you can get a safe and legal abortion. It is a destination. People drive hours to come to Illinois to get their abortions. And he's a champion of that. You mentioned the dark money system, and I think that dark money is one of those bold-faced vocabulary words that, you know, you kind of think back to your social studies book in fifth grade, and you're like, these are things I'm supposed to know and understand. But I don't know that a lot of people really do get how dark money works in politics to influence voters from anywhere, any dollar, and how it's acquired. Can you explain to us a little bit in detail how dark money in the J.B. Pritzker world or anybody's uh, super PAC is able to be required and applied. Yeah, so dark money, a very simple definition is this is a series of funds raised for the purpose of influencing elections by nonprofit organizations that are not required to disclose the identities of their donors. So as long as this is going through some kind of a political entity, right? So we're looking at, for example, his new political action committee, Think Big America. The money that's going in from outside donors does not actually have to be reported. Their identities don't have to be disclosed. We don't know where the money's coming from. For all we know, it could be a billion dollars coming from the Hyatt Hotel franchise. Well, they certainly wouldn't want that identity revealed because that might affect their bottom line and their business from conservative or right-leaning voters. Is dark money something that exists on both sides of the aisle? Yes, it definitely is. Listen, ever since um, the Supreme Court issued its decision in 2010, the Citizens United versus FEC case, the Supreme Court ruled that essentially politically active nonprofits didn't have to disclose donors, that that would be a forced speech 
analysis. And we wanted to protect people. We didn't want them to feel as though they were somehow being compelled to keep quiet or compelled to speak because one of the things that the Supreme Court has determined is actually speech are political donations. So since the Citizens United decision in 2010, both conservatives and liberals have benefited from the notion of what are called dark money. So politically active nonprofits, what are what are called 501c4s, are under no legal obligation to disclose their donors, but they have to disclose how much money are coming, mm. is coming from these donations. So, for example, our Heritage Foundation has a political action committee arm, a 501c4, called Heritage Action for America. We also receive donations. Those donations are not tax deductible, but we have to report all of them under the same philosophy after Citizens United. We also do not have a legal obligation to reveal who those identities are actually for. So it benefits both sides of the coin. But here's what we know is that for someone who is a singular heir to a multi-billion dollar franchise, this presents an outsized influence, not just within his own state, but in other states as well. And as the governor in the state of Illinois, that raises red flags to me about conflict of interest. Mm. Yeah, it's incredibly interesting. And I think it's something that people hear a lot about. I think a lot of people are confused by it, frustrated with it. But when you look at somebody like J.B. Pritzker, who is elected in the state of Illinois, Illinois chose J.B. Pritzker, uh, much to my dismay. He's put in a position to have influence over the people of Illinois, but this money is causing him to be able to have great influence over, as you mentioned, the people of Arizona, Nevada, Ohio, with this dark money campaign. And his key issues here are abortion access, defeating book bans, and increased access to gender-affirming care. What is it in your summation that J.B. Pritzker is trying to manipulate with those three three issues that can be tied together, you know, and what people often would def define as a culture war. Why these things and why those states? You know, I think that's very interesting. What you've identified rightly is states that are either purple or distinctly blue. And his philosophy seems to be ultimately aimed at defeating what he calls right-wing extremism, except for the fact that he's actually at odds with the perspectives held by the majority of Americans on very common sense issues. These particular perspectives, for example, on, let's say, gender-affirming care. Well, we know the majority of Americans want limitations on gender-affirming care for minors under the age of 18. Why? Well, as a parent of three teenagers, I can tell you that teenagers are not always possessed of the highest intellect or most rational thought process. We want these limitations because we want thoughtful analysis. We want talk therapy. We want medication for underlying mental health conditions. We don't want to go right to the scalpel, right to chemical castrations. The same thing with what he's calling book bans. We're talking about books like Gender Clear, which was just addressed in a Senate hearing a few weeks ago when Senator Kennedy read from the actual book, and there was not a non-squirming individual in the entire chamber. It was horrifying to listen to, and yet these are in K-12 public school libraries. 
he has targeted issues that he thinks are low-hanging fruit for deep blue or deep purple states. And I think he thinks ultimately is going to cement his own opportunity to build a political franchise with J.B. Pritzker at the head going forward. Oh, man. Well, it's important for people to know this about what J.B. Pritzker is investing his time and certainly money in and understanding that in J.B. Pritzker's world, his number one, his public enemy number one is labeled far right extremism. And then you see what he's willing to advocate for with this super PAC dark money. And you realize it's far left extremism. And he's investing heavily in it. And you are very right to bring it to the attention of our listeners. And we're grateful for your time today in doing so. Thanks so much. Thank you very much. Sarah Parshall Perry, senior legal fellow at the Heritage Foundation, there joining us uh, to talk about what J.B. Pritzker is up to. I think it's important that we know about it. I didn't realize that he was involved in this. And uh, in case you forgot and you want to look up more, his nonprofit group is called Think Big America. And that's the real story. Not a joke. It's time to take a break. <laughs> I'm not one of those people. Although I might uh, offer some penance here over the break. Uh, get Ryan Wiggins back here, and we're going to talk a little bit about today's YouTube live chat poll. Taylor Swift named Person of the Year for Time magazine. Uh, we want to know, do you like Taylor Swift? Yes or no? Go to the Annie Fry YouTube channel. Vote. We'll be right back. You know what? I look at Taylor Swift. If I pick my music based on their politics, mm-hmm. uh, I'd have five choices. Let's be honest. <laughs> you know, country, Christian, contemporary, which are my favorite, but... Fine. Um, I don't. I, I admire her talent. She writes all her songs. Mm-hmm. She does these shows that have like nearly fifty song, yep. you know, sets in them. Mm-hmm. She, you know, more wardrobe changes. She's a great businesswoman. Seems like a lovely girl. Extraordinarily nice to her fans. And I kind of hate people, you know, Dang hating on her. on her. You know what's not good for people liking Taylor Swift? Sean Hannity's endorsement. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It's. The like, whole group of people going, I don't know how I feel about Taylor How many Swift. people who are watching say? Sean Hannity are like, all right, I'll give her a chance. A hundred percent. There's not a lot. No. All the people watching Hannity are now like, well, well, well maybe I do like her. On the Andy Fry YouTube channel, we have a poll today. And the question is, do you like Taylor Swift? Ryan. No. <laughs> and what? Why? What don't you like about her? I don't like that everybody likes Taylor Swift. <laughs> She's too famous. What if everybody likes you? Then I'd have to push back on that a little bit. <laughs> now you know where I come from. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that was masterful. Congratulations, Annie Fry. That was fantastic. Good you job. You don't need to congratulate me. No, I do, really. Uh, you, t- somebody's got to do it. Nobody else is doing it. I got to do it. Uh, good job on that. Nobody else is congratulating <laughs> What are you talking about? See? I got a shot on you, too. <laughs> I don't know that I gave a shot on you. I just told you everybody likes you. Oh, yeah, that's right. Thank you very much. I'll write it down so it's more easy to understand after the show. <laughs> Thank you very much. Would you say that I'm the show's secret weapon? <laughs> yes. I want to know how every, I, I really am curious as to how our audience responds to this poll. So in that sense, it's a very good poll. Don't you think it's going to be overwhelming? No. I have no idea which way this poll goes. Brad, do you like Taylor Swift? I, I keep thinking I don't like Taylor Swift, but I think it's more the 
aura or the 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 fascination Witchcraft? and the obsession a, a obsession around you her. Said aura. Like all the people that think she's like some sort of great business mind. Isn't or... it possibly the same type of um what what is it? S S D D. Do you know what that stands for? No. Oh. Same stuff, different details. Ah. Uh, that people would put on Shohei Otani. It's very similar. You might not see it that way because no. you're in the baseball realm. But the I, way that people talk about the talent and abilities of the maybe the best person to ever play the game of baseball. If you are somebody who knows nothing about baseball, cares nothing about baseball, is one of those idiots who influ- influenced the commissioner to make the game shorter for people who hate the game of baseball. I hate that. I sound like Marty McFly there. <laughs> <laughs> At least it's not great. Gilbert Godfrey. Gilbert Godfrey. I don't know. Kenton, let me know. Should have thrown in a comment about a time machine in a flux We disaster. just got to 88! <laughs> Out of a DeLorean? <laughs> but Doc. But Doc. I can't think of other lines for the movie. Like, I don't know how to do it. This is heavy. I would way, way, way rather sound like Marty McFly than Gilbert Godfrey. This is true. I really just did that to try to erase I the I wondered Gilbert. why you came in wearing a vest today. Because it's a little chilly, but not too chilly. Okay. But it's more <laughs> of like a fishing vest. It's kind of puffy, kind of 80s. Yeah. If I'm hungry, I'll just go fishing for somebody else because I don't eat fish. That's very nice of you. Uh, I've always said teach a man to fish, but you fish for other people. But that's fine. It's because I'm caring like that. People love Shohei Otani and nerds will nerd out and tell you all about the statistics and how he's the greatest because he's doing things that nobody else has ever done before and they'll watch him wherever he goes and they'll travel to see him and people do the same thing for Taylor Swift. I don't think they do it with Shohei, Shohei not to the extent that they do it with Taylor Swift. This is more close Shohei to Shohei Otani like- plays 162 games a year. I'm telling you, they don't travel across the country and follow him around. But because Taylor plays 30 games a year or something. Well, even at that. I, this is something, like, and the obsession is more like. Don't you think Shohei Otani is selling out stadiums when he shows up across the country? I mean, some, how many pe- but... How many people are employed because Shohei Otani hits a home run and then there are radio broadcasters who get to go on the air and they just, all their entire profession is about talking about Shohei Otani. I, I mean, I, I could do an NBA analogy, but I don't watch the NBA. <laughs> I mean, if listen, if you're listening to Sports Talk Radio, and I say this is somebody who started in Sports Talk Radio and wanted to be a sideline reporter and then opted out of that and thought, I'll take the easy road. I'll do news and politics as a 30-year-old woman. <laughs> well, I've heard that actually it's a lot easier than you thought it was because you can just make up the sideline reports. Uh, yeah, I know. They didn't tell me that. I didn't know that that was part yeah, of the plan. Yeah, that's a thing. That was in the 2000s. But the idea that... Taylor Swift is out there. The, when she comes to town, it the indus, the entire economic industry of that town gets a windfall because Taylor Swift shows up. Yeah. I just, I don't like that. You just don't like the people like her. I don't like What's the, the matter obs- with you two? No, no, no. It's the obsession. <laughs> and, and it's like, like if you say anything negative about her, like they just come out of the woodwork and they dogpile right. on you. I'm going to go personal. Ooh. What about you Star Wars nerds? (laughs) I don't understand that. And I say this as somebody who is a Disney lover of Disney World, not their crazy kooky stuff. Fight me. 
when you go to Disney World and you see what people would be willing to spend and take upon themselves because they've given of themselves so much to a storyline or to a franchise and they passionately care about which Star Wars is better, their favorite Star Wars person is Captain Kirk and they just love everything Star Wars. <laughs> they... It was a hard wink if you couldn't hear that. <laughs> I'm just calling out because when you Star said Wars it, I said, "Wait a second. Right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I know, but there are people who got actively itchy when I said that, mm-hmm. and I'm talking about them. She Those pointed the at me, and I didn't get itchy. Well, I didn't point at you. Oh, this camera is right <laughs> the here. The camera. What do you think? Because that, to me, all of what she just described is stuff I don't typically like, and it's kind of what you're describing about Taylor Swift. Yeah, I don't really like the weird people about Star Wars either. I thought you kind of were that but guy. That's, but, no. That's, but no, but you like Star Wars. But, but I like Star Wars. But you're Wars. separating the crazies from the actual product. Taylor Swift from the crazies who worship her. Go back to the Beatles. Yes. Go back to people who thought that if you played a John Lennon record yes, backwards, I think that that's it was, weird too. Yeah, but that doesn't apply but, specifically no, to... No, and that's kind of what I said at the very beginning. I said... I thought that it was Taylor Swift that I don't like, but it's more the just the stuff around her, the the obsession and the stuff that people have. Because it's okay to be like, no, I don't like her. I don't like any, anything about her music. Because the I I am a yes on this. I like Taylor Swift. I love her music. I love her transformation. She is the. I think this is a bold statement, but I think she is the Michael Jackson of this era. I don't think you're wrong. Ooh, about no, that. I think that's a good. I think that she is transformative in the music industry, in the entertainment industry, and she has done it so smartly. And the thing that it, the thing that kind of agitates me, like I don't, I've never been to a concert. I would not pay an astronomical mo- amount of money. I would not try. If she came to St. Louis and I could get tickets, I would like to go experience that concert because she's doing it like nobody's ever done it. I would like to experience it, but I am not going out of my way or sacrificing something else that I would be doing with my family to acquire that opportunity. Mm-hmm. But I would enjoy if someone's like, hey, do you want to go to the Taylor Swift concert? I'd be like, yeah, I think that would be awesome to experience when the thing that agitates me about Taylor Swift, the idea that she's like some sort of man eater. She her relationships are not the overly sexualized version of romance that exists in most things that come out of Hollywood. And I almost feel like. Because she's kind of been a quote unquote good girl in that realm, that she's getting a little hate that I, I certainly don't think men would get it. Men write stories about girlfriends all the time, breaking up with girlfriends. Women do it all the time. There's just a special kind of hatred that Taylor Swift gets. I don't understand calling her mother. Stop. <laughs> like, oh, I haven't even heard that. No, they call her mother. Mother says blah blah blah, and then they it's oh, bizarre. Oh, oh. There, and then, you just made me go hard on no, and then yeah, and <laughs> well, I shouldn't have put it that way. But... <laughs> let's, let's, oh man, <laughs> we're close enough to the end of the segment. I was gonna ask for more time. I'm no, gonna, don't I'm gonna... <laughs> just let it play out, play music. <laughs> I think I'm going to be in the dramatic minority. (laughs) Taylor Swift is somebody who in 15 years, I think I will like because all the hype will be gone and I'll be like, man, I'm a hard yes now. (laughs) Doesn't doesn't sound like it took that long. Uh, We'll probably be back. Don't go away. 
Get more at 971talk.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.